Welcome to all the ACF family and our friends, wherever you're watching, uh, whether you're watching now or later. Welcome. You're so welcome. I just wanted to thank everybody in ACF. Thank you, family, for the two weeks of uh, fasting and prayer. I know some of you fasted for the entire time of two weeks, which ended yesterday. Some did a total fast three days and then continued in fasting. I did some intermittent fasting and I really, really appreciate the fact that you took a time out to fast and pray. Fasting and prayer is powerful. Jesus said, not if you pray or if you fast, but he said when you fast and when you pray. So it's important for us to fast and pray. It's important for us to take time out to seek the Lord. And especially in these trying times that we're living in with the pandemic, we need to be praying for one another. We need to be covering one another. And, and so praying for each other's protection. And then for those who do get the virus, praying for their, their recovery, their speedy recovery, that they get over it very, very quickly um, without any side effects. And I want to thank you for that. But of course, there is the prosperity of finance, the prosperity of relationships. There needs to be restoration in every way. There needs to be a restoration for our economy. The world's economies have taken a knock. It's quite interesting how even the wealthy countries Britain and America, and especially Britain, has been in prolonged, prolonged lockdown. And of course, their debt has increased. So we need, we need God to do something. And, and uh, as an economic revival, and I believe that there is coming an economic revival. I believe that it is going to happen. I believe that we're going to just see something absolutely phenomenal happening in the world today. Right. Are you ready for the word? 2021, here we are. It's been a challenging 2020. It's a challenging 2021. But God has never steered away or steered the church away from difficulties and hard times. So I have been studying. I want you to know this. I haven't been lazy. I haven't been taking a holiday. I have been studying. I've been studying Revelation, book of Daniel, been dipping into Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and uh, I am more convinced than ever before that the view we teach on the end times, our eschatology is the correct view. And not, not just because I'm saying it, but there's a growing number of voices saying it. And also because it's in the spirit of the word. And so one of the most outstanding books of the Bible is the book of Daniel. Daniel is an incredible, incredible book. Here is a man centuries before the coming of the Messiah. This man was taken into captivity by the Babylonians around about 605 BC. And it's important that you hear this because it's going to, I believe, make sense of what is happening right now in the world. Because we've seen this pandemic. The pandemic has unsettled governments. It's caused chaos. It's caused fear. And it's caused revolt and rebellion and uprisings. I mean, in places that we never, ever thought that we would see things happening. It's incredible. Other governments, which were dictatorial in the making prior to this, have just become even more hard-handed and tough on people. It's become oppressive. But let's try and make sense of this. So I've been studying the book of Daniel, 605 BC, as a young man with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taken into exile, possibly demasculated so that they could serve in the king's palace and not touch his harem. But these were, these four young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with Daniel, four young men, were just absolutely 
incredible. And they speak to, I believe, a generation that is coming up today. Though they were taken into a foreign country, out of their land, away from their customs, away from their culture, away from their tongue, and almost forced to serve other gods. In fact, they were given names of Babylonian gods and brought into the king's palace, trained up in all the wisdom of Babylon, put together with the sorcerers, the astrologers and the magicians because of the wisdom that the king saw in them. But yet these young men stood and stood for God. And you know the story, of course, in Daniel, when they were threatened to be thrown and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, they said, God will rescue us. And if he doesn't, that's okay. And there's a generation coming who will not bow its knee to the spirit of this world, but will stand true for God. And Daniel reveals this. So Daniel in his person and with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, represent this generation that I believe is rising up, people that will stand for God. But Daniel began to interpret dreams. Well, first of all, he interpreted the king's dream, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. And then as we progress through 7, 8, I believe it's 10, 11, 12, in the book of Daniel, he has dreams and visions himself, which then God gives the interpretation through angels. And Daniel's prophecies became a timeline became a map book, if you could say, for the Israelites, for the people of God in the exile, and then going back to the land of promise, they had Daniel's prophecies, which are amongst the clearest, the most accurate prophecies of any of the Old Testament prophets. And so from about 603 BC, Daniel translated or interpreted the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, the statue, four successive kingdoms coming, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, then the Roman Empire on the two legs, and then the feet of iron and clay that would not mix. There's some interesting verses in there, but that kingdom was always divided, and basically the iron represented Rome, the clay, the seed of men, and although they dominated the other countries, for example, other nations, other people, for example, the Jews never fully integrated with the Romans, nor did many of the other nations. So there was that blend. But this is the thing that I wanted to bring out to you is that in the days of those kings, Daniel saw a rock cut out, not with human hands, coming and striking the statue at the feet, bringing down those kingdoms and then growing to fill the whole earth. The view that we have is one of the kingdom of God increasing and taking over the world. Now, when would that happen? That would happen from around about 27 AD at the baptism and the commencement of the ministry, the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing in the kingdom of God. Now, before I continue of course, the way that we see it is not that the world is going to get worse, not that the Antichrist is going to take over, not things that are going to get terrible, things are going to get better. And we have got proof. There are less hungry people, there are less poor people in the world today than just a century ago. There's less sick people than a century ago. Major diseases have been eradicated. Democracies are flourishing. Great things like communism, etc., have fallen. And through it all, we can see the rule and reign of the kingdom of God, Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government, peace shall be no end. And then, of course, in Revelation, where is it, 11 or 15, where he says, John sees in a vision, now the kingdoms of this world 
are the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, and he shall reign forever. So what does the book of Daniel do? Not only does it give us accurate prophecies, but if you read between the lines, I like what one theologian said. First of all, it answers the question, is there a God? Well, absolutely. How could somebody centuries before accurately predict and prophesy the coming of those four nations, those four great empires, ending up with Rome, then the establishment of the kingdom. He even prophesied Antiochus Epiphanes in around about 164, 165, somewhere there, invading Jerusalem and ransacking the temple. But he accurately prophesied the coming of the Messiah and the abomination of desolation in the temple or the armies that will make desolate surrounding Jerusalem, which Jesus then prophesied, Matthew 24, Luke 21, and of course in the book of Mark as well. And so it answers, is there a God? Yes, there is a God. And he is in charge. He is running the affairs of history. We can't see him, but he's there in the background. And uh, that we can know him that there is a God we can know, like Daniel, like his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a personal relationship with God. Uh, The third thing that it answers for us is that, does God communicate with us? Yes, he does, in such a way that we can be certain. Well, you just got to look, just look at Daniel. Look, there's many, many prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus, and Jesus opened those to the disciples. So yeah, he communicates with us. We can be sure that God is with us and he communicates with us and God's will for our lives. Oh my goodness. We are part of this kingdom that is increasing and filling the whole earth and that's going to take over and already is busy taking over and every power and dominion and authority is falling. My goodness. And uh, it's so powerful and we're part of it. And Jesus said to his disciples, it's been the father's good pleasure to confer on you a kingdom. That's why he came preaching. Change your mind. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist preached that. Jesus preached that. He handed over the disciples. They preached that. They understood and knew. Well, I'm carrying on a little bit along with this, but I want to stress this point is that God is in charge of history. He's in charge of your history. And he's a God that communicates. He's a personal, personal, personal God. But let's try and make sense of everything that's happening. With Daniel as the backdrop, with his accurate prophecies, a man centuries before prophesying accurately the coming of these kingdoms, these nations, these empires, right up until the time of the Messiah. Even the fact that things would be, the wall and the moat would be rebuilt in troublous times. Well, that actually did happen. And and so accurate, my goodness. And then of course, Jesus picks it up in Matthew 23, when he's in front of the Sanhedrin and they ask him if he's the Christ, he said, you will see the son of man come in the clouds and with glory. And he was directly quoting from Daniel chapter seven. And so the Jews knew what was coming because Daniel predicted it so accurately, including Antiochus Epiphanes. They knew, they knew this was the timetable. They knew that something was going to happen. And yet they just could not accept Christ and the way that he was bringing in God's kingdom rule and reign and authority. And they refused to submit to it. And so you know, I'm going into end time teaching now. I'm just going to try and try and steer us away from there. I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. So Jay Rogers in his book, In the Days of These Kings, these are the points that he brings up that Daniel really shows us. But let me just back off from that and just try and explain uh, where I'm going with this for 2021. Right from the fall all the way through and then right into 
the time of the, the great empires, we see a trait in man, in natural human beings. And that is that people do not want to submit to the rule and reign of God. And that was all that came about as a result of the fall that we read in Genesis with Adam and Eve. And so he rejects the rule of God. That's why we have that ancient story of, of the Tower of Babel, the city of Babel, where, you know, let us build us a city and uh, become like God, reaching to God. And that whole thing about being self-made, self-ruling, self-determining, is something that came as a result of the fall. And we see it in the rise of empires. And there's something in, in the nature of every human being, and that is this, is that we want a savior to deliver us and make everything better, to provide an environment in which we can live, we can, we can be safe, we can prosper. And so that's how the empire started. And it started with demagogues, people who came and ruled, you know, with iron fists. And, um, you know, in the beginning, people were behind them, but then they began to self-destruct. And we see then the Babylonian empire falling. It became corrupt, Medo-Persian empire. And right in the beginning, we can see it in uh, Daniel chapter two. Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream and says, you're the head of gold. The next chapter, chapter three, we see the king is not, he's not concerned with being the head of gold. He wants to be the whole statue. So he builds a statue of gold. In other words, I'm going to continue ruling and reigning forever. And you must all submit. Everybody must bow to the statue. And of course, that's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. And they were thrown into the, into the fiery furnace. And so he wanted to be. But of course, his downfall came. The Medo-Persian Empire came. Then the Grecian Empire. Then the Roman Empire. And the rest, as I say, is history. And we read of the absolute debauchery, the corruption, the wickedness in the Roman Empire, and, and itself imploded until, you know, the barbarians and the Goths came and conquered Rome. And, and so succession of kingdoms, what happens? What happens? These empires, these people that are set up as saviors, the seeds of their own destruction are inherent in them and that same system, and they all self-destruct. From here, I'm hoping that you're making the connection already. We've seen in the last year, almost a full year, how governments have fallen apart at the scene, how they've been criticized. There's been tough times and they've been criticized. We saw just such anarchy in the United States of America, the icon of democracy in the whole world. And look what happened with Black Lives Matter, Antifa, cancel culture and then the raid on capitol hill unbelievable scenes happening right in front of us it's almost apocalyptic if we could say and i can understand why some people are saying end of the world end of the world antichrist is coming which we do not believe in but nations self-destruct because the seeds of destruction are in every system it's amazing how everybody Probably the majority of people were glad for a new prime minister in England, and now they're criticizing him terribly, criticizing his decisions too late, too soon, too, you know, whatever. Our own government in South Africa, we, we see the criticisms. Every political party speaking about our president, you know, that he's not making the right decisions. It's a tough call. And you see the shaking that is going on. Now, the shaking that I'm talking about, I'm sure many of your minds jump to Hebrews chapter 12 from 
verses 13 to 25, I believe, believe it is, where he says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth, but also the heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken or can be shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, people misquote this verse a lot. There's a lot of shakings that God, we all go through personal shakings, but this is not, you can use this, but you can't use it. You know, I'm using it a little bit out of context this morning. Those shakings that came was, and particularly that second shaking was the removal of the old heaven and earth of the Jewish system with the laws, the governing principles that govern the people of Israel, the whole mosaic system came. The shaking was AD 70 so that he could establish that which cannot be shaken. And that is the kingdom of God. And that's why he says, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Now you may not like what I'm going to say, but in Isaiah chapter 1, or was it Isaiah chapter 2, maybe it's 1 verse 21, somewhere there, or Isaiah chapter 22, whatever verse it is. Isaiah prophesying says, how hath Israel become the harlot? The people of God has become a harlot. And we see it all the way through. We see it in the book of Revelation. The destruction of the harlot is not Babylon, because John says in the book of Revelations that with, you know, the Lord was crucified was Babylon, Sodom, it was Egypt. And so the whore, the prostitute riding the beast in the book of Revelation is the alliance of the whole Israel with the nation of Rome that conspired to the crucifixion of Jesus. And so there's an unholy alliance. There's almost a marriage and affair. And so Babylon is a little bit Rome, but it's particularly Jerusalem. And the interesting thing that... The amazing thing, John prophesies hailstones raining down. And we know on the siege, they rained down, you know, with slingshots, massive stones onto Jerusalem. And it was burnt with fire because here it says the verses that we read in Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire. And it's interesting that the punishment for adulterers was stoning and or burning. And so here Jerusalem was stoned and burnt. And that was her punishment. How did I get there? Okay, that was the shaking in Hebrews chapter 12. But what's happening, a lot of that was because of the decisions that the Jews made was by their rejection of Jesus. He came to his own, his own received him not. As many as received him, to them he gave power, the right to become the sons of God. Okay, all good. So here it is. Here we're looking at, in this last year, human governments and systems put up by man because they don't want to come under the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to his kingdom. The seeds of its own destruction is inherent. Now a shaking has come. Is this shaking from God? Well, you know, in an roundabout way, possibly. But I believe it's a shaking that is self-made. Because every human system that is put up that is not under Christ has already got the seeds of its own destruction. And its collapse will be the shaking that is taking place. I hope you understand that. So the shaking that has taken place, we've watched people dying, we've watched economies collapse, we've watched governments collapse, we've watched 
you know, very much the demise of President Trump and the taking over of Joe Biden. We've seen many, many things happening. Look, these positive things happening, but we, we've seen things happen where there's literally been a shaking. But I want to tell you that through all of this, God is getting the church ready. So whether we see it as he's doing it or it is self-made, it's because of the implosion of every secular system that refuses to bow its knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. God is using it to continue to establish his kingdom, which began around about the time of Jesus, but increased from AD 70 and has been increasing ever since. There is no rapture. There is no tribulation. There is no millennial. All of that was fulfilled around about the time of AD 70. But what happens? What happens when these shakings come? What happens? We lose focus. We lose perspective. We're not as alert, maybe not as watchful or as vigilant, maybe not as prepared. Our eyes seem to go somewhere else. And, and yeah, literally there's been a shaking. It's a little bit like when Jesus was praying in the garden and the disciples just kept falling asleep and overcome with weariness. And it's almost like there's been a weariness. Jesus comes and he says to Simon Peter, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch with me one hour? Are you sleeping? And it almost seems that, you know, there was a little bit of a sleep. Jesus said, watch ye and pray. Very interesting how when Peter walked on the water, it was really interesting. It was when he took his eyes off Jesus, because when he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. He started to walk on the water. And when he started to look at the waves, he got distracted. That's when he became afraid. And that's when he began to sink. And, but when he said, Lord, save me, Jesus lifted him up and they walked back to the boat together. And I believe this is a time that we're in. I just want to tell you a story. Francis Frangipani, a great Christian author, had a dream one day. He writes us in an article. And um, he said in his dream, he was sleeping. And um, so in the dream, he's sleeping. Okay, he's sleeping. And in the dream, he's sleeping. But when he looks up and he looks out of his window, he sees in a field across from his house, beautiful, beautiful church or temple. And, and when he looked at it, it was absolutely glowing with the glory of God. It was night, but he could see the glory of God shining through the windows and shining through the door. And he was almost in that state of sleepiness, of slumber. And while he was looking at it, he was marveling at the glory of God inside the church. Now, in this dream, his wife jumped up immediately and started running for this temple. And um, he could see her go around and then into the doors and when she went into the door she just got overwhelmed and overcome and absorbed by the glory of God and when he saw this he realized that's what he needed to do and he woke up and he started to run towards the temple and then he really woke up <laughs> he woke up in his dream where he was sleeping woke up then he woke up and it was the end of the dream he said he was so sad for the whole day. He was so disappointed that the dream ended and the Lord didn't allow him to, to see himself run into the church and just get infused and saturated and overwhelmed with the glory of God. Because this is what I believe is happening. Numbers 14, 21, all the way through to Habakkuk 3. As surely as I live, the Lord says, my glory shall cover the old earth as the waters cover the sea. Not the Antichrist, not trouble, not 
bad times, the glory of God, as surely as I live, as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk said, or is it in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. But he was so distraught. And eventually he said to the Lord, why did I wake up? Why did you wake me up from the dream? Why did the dream end? I wanted to see myself. And the Lord spoke to him so clearly. He said, I don't want you to experience my glory in a sleep state. I want you to be awake. And then God said to him, if you want your dreams to come true, wake up. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And Prophet Quirbus used to say that a lot. If you want your dreams to come true, wake up. So I believe that this shaking that's happening is causing an awakening. So here it is. If you want to know a word for 2021, I believe before God, it's a year of awakening. Awakenings. We're going to hear of revivals all over the world. We're going to hear of awakenings in communities. A lot of people talk about revival as revival is in the church. Awakening is in the community, in, in society. Whichever way, it doesn't matter. I believe revival is church and society. We've seen revivals come and transform societies. I believe that there's this awakening, revival breaking out because there's been a shaking and and confidence is gone in governments. Confidence is gone in finances. How many of you in the past year have had to stand and first time ever maybe really believe God and hold on to his promises for your jobs, for finances, clinging onto things? You know, there's been axings of jobs. People have had to find new employment, come up with new ideas, do things differently. And there's, there was a, a seeking of God, having to find God in the midst of all this chaos and confusion, let's use the word in this shaking and to stand. And then there was a threat to our health. How many of you have prayed like you've never prayed before for your healing, for your protection and for your loved ones, for your family, for the church? All of that has caused us to be shaken. And so it's important for us to realize that this awakening is coming. And here is some of the things that I believe. Some of the things that cause this distraction, cause this slumber is the flesh. Ephesians 5, 14, let's, you know, all sins, causes us to be asleep spiritually. And, and Paul says in Ephesians 5, 14, wherefore he said, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. The NIV says, and Christ shall shine on you. And of course, we know that great verse, Isaiah 60, arise and shine, get up out of the dust, awake a virgin daughter, shake off the dust, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And so, you know, it's time for us to be done with sin. Peter says those who've suffered are done with sin. And so, you know, going through things, it's now a time to really seek God and walk with God. And of course, there's, so that's the flesh. And the second one is famine. You know, when there's shortage, when there's lack. Very interesting to me, I was just reading a story again of Hagar and Ishmael in the relationship with Abraham and Sarah. And it tells us twice Sarah cast you out. The first time the Lord told Hagar to go back and to submit to her mistress. The second time was when Isaac was weaned, Abraham cast a feast. And, you know, because Isaac was a little boy and um, Ishmael was probably a teenager, he started to mock Isaac. And when Sarah saw that she was really upset and spoke to Abraham and Abraham didn't want to, but sent her off. And uh, they came to a place where they'd run out of water, run out of food. And uh, Hagar put Ishmael under a bush because she didn't want to watch him die. 
And she was sitting there and began to call on the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to her and said, it's interesting. He said, he didn't say, I've heard your cry. He said, I've heard the lad's cries. So obviously, Ishmael was crying out to God. Very interesting. But anyway, and then the Bible says that in Genesis 21, verse 19, and God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle of water and gave the lad to drink. And then it went on. And of course, Ishmael grew up. But isn't it amazing that she could not see the provision of God because she was distraught and she was in a time of famine. And I believe that's happened to many. I believe God is awakening us and we're awakening and we're going to start to see the provision of God like never before. We're going to see wells where we've never seen wells or never thought there were wells. And I believe that's going to be finances. I believe it's going to be provision. I believe it's going to be business. I believe it's going to be work. I believe it's going to be discovering moves of God or a move of God you know, the well in a way, you know, which is going to just be absolutely incredible. 2021, a year of awakening. And then very often, you know, Jesus told the story of the sower and the seed. And um, one of the things that he said was that the tears that choke out the seed of the word as it's growing is cares or problems and riches, the temptation of riches. So fortunes. So flesh, famine, fortune. Isn't it interesting how so many people's fortunes have been challenged? You know, where their treasure is, their heart is, that's where their focus is. And we see this very much with, it's amazing to me, how Balak, King Balak, called Balaam to curse Israel, and uh, whom God had blessed. And on his way there, because he was offered a huge amount of money, he was blinded by the option of a fortune. <laughs> and you know the story how the angel stood you know to kill him and if it wasn't for the donkey you could see the angel because then he started beating the the donkey and of course the donkey spoke to him it says later in the new testament restrained the prophet's madness and so he was heading for this fortune and uh and his eyes were closed he could not see but when his eyes opened he saw the angel later once he saw that he couldn't curse israel numbers 24 for when he didn't resort to enchantments and witchcraft again this time he sought the lord and he realized that he could only prophesy good and bless the people of israel it says he fell into a trance with his eyes open with his eyes open he prophesied the most amazing prophecy he's the one that prophesied the star that the astrologers the wise men the magi followed and came to Jesus. I see his star, not near, but afar off. Wow, beautiful. His eyes were open. So don't be distracted by fortune. Don't be distracted by familiarity. You know, so often we can be in the cut and thrust of life, in the cut and thrust of serving God, that we lose something. We lose something. In the mechanics of doing the Christian thing and doing life together, we can lose something. And familiarity, I'd always it always blows my mind how Jesus on the road to Emmaus could be walking with those disciples, talking to them. They downcast and they do not recognize Jesus. And, you know, they talk to him. <laughs> this is Jesus. I mean, they spent three and a half years with him and they probably even knew him before that, before he started his ministry. But they didn't recognize him. It was only when he broke the bread. And I understand there's a way of explaining this, but when he broke the bread, it says, and their eyes were open and they knew him. And then he vanished out of his sight. Their eyes were open and they knew him. Wow, 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 wow. Whew. 
glory. I mean, that's powerful. Their eyes were open and they knew him. Wow. Just remember this particular line. Familiarity and then fear. Obviously fear. There's been a lot of fear and understandably so. And we have to fight fear and not let it take root in our hearts. You know, we need to have love, power, and a sound mind casting out fear. Peter walking on the water, as I've already explained, but that epic, epic story. The Syrians are coming and attacking. Elisha is in the city of Dothan. And every time the Syrians set an ambush, he tells the king, don't go there. This is where the Syrians are waiting. Until eventually the king thinks, hey, we, we've got a fifth column. We've got an insider here that's betraying us. And somebody goes, no, 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 there's a prophet. <laughs> and his eyes are open and he knows wherever you are and whatever you're doing, he can tell you things that you think in your bedroom. So they said, we've got to get him. And of course, they find out he's in Doth and they come surround the city. You know the story so well. The servant goes up in the morning onto the roof, stretching, yawning, looks around and sees the armies of Syria surrounding, runs back down into the house, tells the prophet, the prophet whose eyes are open. He's not asleep. He's not in slumber. Says, oh Lord, open his eyes. Go back and have another look. And he sees behind them the armies, the chariots, the horsemen of Israel. Wow. And of course, they capture the whole army and they take them into Samaria and hand them over to the king. What an incredible story. As soon as his eyes opened, he saw a spiritual reality that he could not see because of fear. And so we're going to see things because we're coming out of slumber. Now, I want to be careful how I use this verse, but in Romans chapter 11, verses 8 and 10, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us that God gave the Jews a spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now, there's a whole lot of that we can say about this, but you know, Jesus said it and uh, he said, when the disciples said, why do you speak in parables? He said, they're seeing, they won't see, hearing, they won't hear. And of course, that's a direct quote from Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 8, 7, 8, somewhere around there, where he said the same thing. And um, Isaiah prophesied, these are people that, though they've got eyes, they don't see. Though they've got ears, they don't hear. And here, Paul is quoting very much the same thing and saying, so they've gone into a spirit of slumber and God gave them over to it and they went into slumber. So maybe in some respects, not everybody, but maybe in general, there's been a little bit of a spirit of slumber, not because we're rebellious, not because, but because of the factors that I mentioned, because of the flesh, the famine, the fortune, the familiarity, the fear, maybe, maybe, but here's the encouragement. God is doing something. And I believe it's his response to our prayers. Even if we prayed out of desperation, even if we prayed out of fear, even if we prayed sometimes wondering, am I praying in faith or, or how am I praying? First Thessalonians chapter five, verses five to six, you know, talking about this coming of the Lord. Paul said, you know, you're all children of the light and the children of the day, and we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but as let us Watch and be sober. <laughs> Come on, with eyes wide open. With eyes wide open. Man, uh, Balaam fell into a trance with eyes wide open and he saw things and he prophesied. Oh, my word. We are living in the reality of the things that he prophesied. And so, just very quickly, there's one passage of scripture that I've got to, I've got to run through very quickly. And that's in Zechariah 4. But Zechariah 4, 
I just, I love this particular chapter. I absolutely love it. It was after the exile, the return, Haggai and Zephaniah were there, and or Zechariah. But Joshua, you know, sort of a ruler, and Zechariah, um, the priest, were there. And the buildings had all but come to a standstill. They did a lot of opposition, no resources, whatever. So what started with great joy and was just the foundation of the temple was incidentally, Haggai says the glory of, of this latter temple will be greater than the glory of the former. And um, because Jesus, you know, sort of, you know, he, he came in there because it was rebuilt. So, so they'd come to standstill. Zechariah, an angel had visited him and spoken to him earlier. And it was also things pertaining to the end of Israel, AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. And the angel wakens him. But now listen to this. Come on. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of sleep. As a man. So maybe he wasn't asleep, but he was awoken to a spiritual reality that he was not seeing because it was as if he was sleeping to it and he was in a slumber concerning this. And the angel said to me, what do you see? And he had to start looking. And so this was Zechariah's awakening. Now I want to just chuck it in here because there's too much to say. This was like a divine provocation. What do you see? God provoking. So if you want to see the shaking as a self-made thing and it's because of natural man's institutions and governments because we refuse to submit to Christ, well, then the shakening is coming. And now there's a provocation from God to us as Christians, stirring us and saying, what do you see? Because we need to wake up and we are awakening. And he said to me, what sees that? Of course, he sees that the lampstand, the menorah, but above it is a bowl. And then out of the bowl is pipes coming down to each lamp. Oh, it's powerful. Come on. You've got to hear this. It's really powerful. And it was different to the, the candlestick that was in the tabernacle and later in the temple. From this point of view, that menorah, that candlestick did not have a bowl above it with a pipes coming down into the lamps. But when he looked again, he saw that there were two olive branches or olive trees standing beside the bowl. And there were pipes coming out of the olive trees into the bowl out of the seven pipes to the little wick holders, the actual lamps themselves on the candlestick. So all of that is added in in the vision because God is trying to show him something. And of course, candlestick is supremely the church and with the fullness of the spirit. We see it in Revelation chapter one. And of course, this picture is repeated a little bit in Revelation chapter 11. It's so amazing. The word, the word is amazing. I'm just getting, I'm preaching myself excited, man. And, um, and so he's seeing this. And remember that it was the responsibility of all the Jews to tend olive groves and they were commanded by Moses, bring daily pressed, fresh, clear oil for the lampstands that the lamps would never go out in the church. In other words, symbolic of everybody coming, you know, bringing fresh oil and uh, the priest had to check it. They couldn't go in. So they would take the oil and every day, I don't know how many times a day, they would be topping up the oil in the lampstand so that it would never go out and it never went out. Pressed. Fresh, clear oil is a sermon there. Wow. And so, so it was a tedious job to keep the oil going. There was a lot of effort. But now, wow. God says to Zechariah, it's almost like I'm taking you out of the picture and I'm supplying the oil. There will be a ceaseless 
supply of oil from the olive trees into the bowl to the lamps. And it's going to be my doing. Wow, 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 wow. It's so powerful. And of course, we end the chapter when the angels say, who are these two trees? Who are these two branches? And he says, no, well, I, I don't know. And he said, these are the two who serve the Lord of the whole earth. Now, that's in verse 14. But other translations say this. These two are sons of fresh oil. Woohoo! Glory. Sons of fresh oil. Oh, my word. Come on, say glory. Yeah. These two are sons of fresh oil. And of course, prophetically, it was Joshua and Zerubbabel. I'm not Zechariah. I said Zechariah earlier, Joshua and Zerubbabel. Priest and king. And they were prophetic of Jesus coming, who would supply fresh oil to the church. Ceaseless supply. The two, the father and the son. Because the two witnesses were God witnessed to Jesus, Jesus witnessed to God. So in the Old Testament, and we see that in Revelation, Moses and Elijah were the two witnesses, the two lampstands. But in the times of the Gospels, it was God and Jesus. Now in the New Testament, it's the church and the spirit. We are the two witnesses. Wow, because the spirit and the bride say, come, I'm diverting. Isn't that awesome? So God is saying, awaken, awaken to the awakening. Awaken to what I want to do in 2021. There is going to be something that I'll be doing in response to your response. That is going to be so phenomenal, but we need to have our eyes wide open. Now, I'm just going to wrap it up, but I just want to give you a couple of things very quickly. Four things. The first thing that I believe the Lord wants us to awaken to is to his person, to him himself, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? I'm only going to give you one or two scriptures. Philippians 3, 8 to 11. And then the others I'm going to mention, you can find your own scriptures for it. Paul says, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for knowing Jesus, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but done that I may win Christ, that I may know him. You must read these verses in the Amplified that I might become more progressively, deeply, intimately acquainted with the wonders of his being, you know, flowing from him. Oh, it's glorious. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own and then attaining to the resurrection from the dead, even while alive. So powerful. In other words, I want to know him. I believe 2021, it's going to be more about knowing him than knowing what he can do for us, what he can give us. It's going to be about the giver and not the gifts. Wow, it's going to be about him. So praise God for that. And so it's the person. We're going to awaken to the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus. We need to know him. Secondly, we're going to awaken to the truth. There's so much untruth out there. There's so much philosophy out there. And I believe that through the shaking that's been happening in 2020 so far and even into 2021, We've had to go back to the foundation of the word and we've had to have this kind of discourse ourselves, with ourselves. Well, what does the word say? What does the word really say? Well, there's so much rubbish and nonsense out there about the end times. Oh, my word. I want you to know, AC, if I'm, I'm studying hard, really studying, getting into it, wanting to put things together for you to just make it more plain. So sometime we're going to go through Daniel, we're going to go through his prophecies, and we're going to go to the book of Revelation and just show you it's not about beasts and antichrists and things like this. No, 
is about his kingdom, which is taking over the world. Hallelujah. And of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. And so from the time of Jesus, it looks like this. There's no, you know, millenniums and tribulations and sufferings and antichrist and all of that kind of thing. That doctrine's only been around the last few years. John Wesley didn't believe it. Charles Spurgeon didn't believe it. John Knox didn't believe it. Eusebius didn't believe it. None of them believe this view that's going around now. It's a load of rubbish. So the second thing is that truth. The third thing is we are awakening to his power more than ever before. We're going to walk in his glorious power and that resurrection power. And then lastly, we're going to come again to a realization of his purpose. And his purpose is a kingdom. It's not a nation, not a Christian country. It's his kingdom. His kingdom shall rule, shall reign forever. And that's how basically the book of Revelation ends with the glorious Lord Jesus Christ coming, ruling, reigning on earth. Because John tells us in the book of Revelations, Revelations 1, Revelations 5, by his blood he redeemed us to be priests and kings, to rule on this earth. Well, that's the end of that message. 2021, a time of awakening. So we're going to wake up, saints, and God is doing something with his own initiative, and there's awakenings coming. I believe God has responded to the cry, just like to Ishmael's cry under the bushes, because he was to make a great people of him, and uh, open the eyes to a well. God's going to open our eyes to things, so praise God for that. Hallelujah. Trust that you are blessed. Trust that you got something out of this. So we need to continue. We need to continue seeking the Lord and staying awake, not getting distracted by those five things. So bless you. Be blessed, everybody. Be healed. Um, two names just were strong in my heart this morning when I was praying, and it's either Diane or, D Diana, or Diana, Diana and Robert. I just want you to know that very much this word was something for you. You're going to experience such a great breakthrough. It might, might be Diane. Uh, such a tremendous, tremendous breakthrough. I want you to know it's almost like Hagar when she was calling out to God because of the dire circumstances and God heard. And I want to tell you that things are about to change now for you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Robert, something very similar for you as well. You've been facing a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties. It's all about to change. Robert, in the name of the Lord Jesus. If any of you watching know those people, just communicated with them. Robert, things are going to change. There's been such an attack on your finances, but God is going to release supernaturally and bring blessing to you. Robert, Robbie, Rob, Robert, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So bless all of you saints. I love you so much. Bless you.